0: When he used the term decades, I'm starting to hear things more and more often uh, lately. I was in a conference meeting on telephone uh, the other day, and one of my teammates in the Atlantic provinces looked at, was talking, and I said something, and they said, "Oh, it's Ray Woodard." He said, "Oh yes, he's our Canadian dinosaur," and I thought, "Ah, that one got me." <laughs> that I'm the dinosaur, but then I began to reflect back on it and I realized it was the Lord's way of getting even for my mother because years and years ago, we went to where my mother was born and I was walking around the yard with her and I said, Mother, where did you park your dinosaur? And she didn't appreciate that too much either, so I got back today. 37 years ago, next week... uh, An event occurred that I will remember for the rest of my life. It was a transforming event in my life. No, it's not my wedding. My marriage is 45 years in June of this year. But in mid August, I got to experience in 1983 my first hurricane. Now, I'd been through a tornado, I'd been through an earthquake but I had never been through a hurricane. And Alicia, a small hurricane in, off the Atlantic, had come through the Gulf of Mexico and had made its way to the south shore of Padre Island and was starting up the line toward Houston, where I had just moved two months earlier. A Category 3 hurricane that would ultimately do $3 billion worth of damage seemed to be aiming for my house. And I thought that hurricane is coming with such incredible force that it'll be destroyed. I remember my father-in-law in South Houston traveling over to our home to make sure that we knew how to handle a hurricane. So he stayed with us as the hurricane approached and got closer and closer. I remember getting up in the middle of the night and all my family was huddled in a hallway at the bottom of the stairs of our townhouse. And my father-in-law is sitting upstairs, looking out a plate glass window, watching the storm outside. Now, for those of you that have ever been through a hurricane, that's crazy. You just don't look out a a pane of glass because of the possibility of it blowing out. But I found myself sitting beside him, watching the storm out the window as the windows began to shake, and I saw things flying around outside, and all of a sudden, it became incredibly still and quiet. He said, come on, come with me. And I went, what? He said, rushed downstairs past the little gathered family that I had all packed in with pillows and quilts and blankets to protect them, and out the back door we went and into the backyard of my house in the middle of a hurricane. And I noticed around me none of the tree leaves were moving. And I said, what is happening? He said, look up, look up. And I looked up, and there above us was the most beautiful starry sky I had ever seen. He looked at me and he said, you're in the eye of the hurricane. It has come directly over your house. And for a few moments, it will be quiet and it will be still. And he said, and then we've got to get back inside quick because the dirty side, what they call the dirty side, the backside of a hurricane will come through. And that is what caused all the damage. But I will never forget whenever a hurricane comes that in the middle, I can look up and see the sky and see the peace of that sky. I want to take you to a small upper room in Jerusalem. John, the beloved disciple, writes in the 13th chapter of the book of John, a story that takes place in the eye of a storm. The next day would be messy. The next day would be deadly. The next day would be incredibly noisy in public. The next day would be full of incredible failure by these disciples. They would see the master crucified. They would see him die on the cross. They would see him taken down and buried in a stone tomb, a borrowed tomb. But for this night, they'd gathered in the upper room to celebrate what had taken place throughout history. God's protection, God's guidance, God's forgiveness, God's plan. They had gathered to celebrate in a very intimate, a very quiet, a very peaceful place. So I invite you to the eye of the storm. I invite you to that quiet place for it's in the eye that you will see the stars. It's in the eye that you will see the Savior so that when you go through the storm, you can take care of the issues that you need to deal with. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay, let's take the Bible. Let's take John chapter 13 and let's begin to read I'm only going to use the text to call your attention to these things. Now, before the Feast of Passover, that's why they had gathered. He had longed to celebrate that Passover meal with those disciples. And now he had the opportunity, just them, just this gathered body, just this family His team had come together, much like a church gathers on Sunday morning. They gather to remember. They gather to reflect. They gather to prepare for what's next. We've come to the eye of the storm. I want you to put the wind and the noise outside and enjoy the view of the Savior as we walk through this. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, he's aware That he should depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Incredible statement. And during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. had already happened. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. I want you to get this picture. He is looking and knowing the end is coming knowing that the crucifixion is coming, knowing that his eternal destiny is to be with God, knowing that he had come from God, knowing all of these things, the incredible power, the incredible authority, the incredible reality of his divinity, he steps over and picks up a towel. He lays aside his garment, and he girds himself up for the task. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Peter saying to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? I want you to hear that question in light of the reality of Peter's experience." He'd never been there before. He'd never seen Jesus wash the disciples' feet. He'd seen foot washing before. He had probably seen the children, out of respect, wash the feet of their parents at the end of a busy day. He'd seen a wife kneel at the feet of her husband and wash her husband's feet. He would have seen uh, the rabbi in the midst of The temple, seeing his disciples wash his feet out of respect, he would have known the reality that the common servant, the least servant in the house, was charged with the responsibility of washing the feet of every guest that came in because their feet oftentimes would pick up dust as they walked from place to place the place he knew all of those kinds of signs of respect those those kinds of things that that took place he had seen them he had observed them he had seen the hospitality in a home exemplified as that humble servant would prepare the feet of a guest coming into the house he would see the respect of that rabbi and that mother and that father that child and that parent. He would have known the necessity of having clean feet. I could wash my own feet and prepare. But you, Lord, do you wash my feet? Why? Why does that take place? Notice what he says. And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Typical of Jesus' parables being taught, the lesson would be after the fact, not in the middle of the action. In this case, he said, you don't don't understand what I'm doing, but it will come to you. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Can't you imagine he has an image of who Jesus is to be, how Jesus is to be respected, how Jesus is to be honored, and not mine. I'll do my own. You can't handle my feet. I know that uh, My I look at my wife's feet oftentimes, and ever since we've been married, she's had the most beautiful feet. And then I take off my socks and look at mine, and I want to hide them as quickly as possible. They they don't need to be there. Don't anybody touch my feet. Don't handle that crooked toe. Don't handle that dirty toe. Don't handle that ankle that's messed up. Oftentimes, is that not the way we come to Jesus? We try to cover up. We try to hide. We try to pull back. We don't want him to see that part of us after all. We know we're eternity, we're settled for that, but to see the little failures, the commonplace things, the statements we wish we could take back, don't bring those up to him. I would imagine Peter felt many of those things in that moment. But notice what Jesus says to him. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Uh, No, let me move back up. Never shall you wash my feet, Jesus answered him. If I do not wish you, you have no part of me. You mean this is a test of whether I'm accepted or not if you wash my feet? You mean this is a a picture of what what for me to get in, for me to be accepted? We've been arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom and and you're telling me if I don't let you wash my feet that I'm not going to be a part of you? You're telling me that I've spent three years of my life and you're telling me that this is the key to get in? Then hear Peter's response. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head, every bit of me. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have everything. I'll surrender everything. And Jesus' response to him is, he is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who betrayed him. For this reason, he said, not all of you. He looked around the room as he and Peter were having this confrontation, sees Judas over in the back. All of you are part, all of you are clean, all of you are prepared. But not all of you. Judas is there. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. You should do as I did to you. There are times in our Christian pilgrimage when memories come back to us quickly. I believe there are two times this came back to Peter. Two very important times that this came back. If I look at his story and what he's taken at this particular time, Peter would the next day, even that night, betray Jesus three times. He would fail him. He would run from the courtyard. Luke would record that Jesus would see Peter Denying that he even knew Jesus, their eyes would meet in the courtyard as they moved Jesus from one place to the other. Peter knew that Jesus had seen him fail him. And he would run. And as he would run, the scripture would record, we know not where he was during the crucifixion. We know not where he was for those that time before Jesus was buried. What we do know is that those men came back to the upper room. They came back to pray together. Peter was one of the elite, Peter was one of the leaders. He would have been among them. Nobody saw what he did. Nobody experienced what he did. He knew what he had, had happened, and Jesus is dead now. And Peter's with the group, with the tribe, with the family. And Mary and Martha would break in early the next morning on that third day and say, He's alive. Jesus is alive. I wonder what Peter did in that moment. Some would say he stepped back. Some would say he stepped into the shadows because the women would say to Peter in the midst of that room, they would say, Peter, he asked to see you. Oh. Peter would run to the grave because Jesus had asked to see him. It would be a few days later, he would see the resurrected Christ and he would be told to go to Galilee. He'd be fishing on the dock and he would look on the shoreline and he would see this man preparing breakfast. And Peter would see the way he broke the bread, the way he prepared the food, Peter would say, it's, it's the master. It's, it's the master. And he would jump out of the boats. And he would move as quickly as he could and he would fall at the feet of Jesus. They'd eat together and then Jesus would turn to him and say, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. Peter, do you love me like a man ought to love God? As they walked, John would record it. And Peter would respond, Lord, <laughs> let me be honest. I love you like a brother. (laughs) Take care of my lamps. Trust you with ministry. You're my friend. I walk on a little bit further. Peter, do you love me like a man ought to love God? (laughs) Peter. Lord, no more bragging. Just reality. I love you like a a brother. Tend my sheep. Walk on a step further. And then he asked him this incredible question. He said, Peter. Do you love me like a brother? I can do that, Lord. I can do that. I oftentimes wonder if Peter did not remember the humility and the service of our Lord in the eye of the storm as He washed His feet. I can't talk to God, but I can talk to Jesus. Because he came to me and served me. I sometimes wonder in our lives as believers if sometimes our feet get dirty and we need to let the master clean us up. We need to Prepare in the eye of the storm, not in the public eye, not in the messy parts of the world, but in the gathered place where we can let him have all of us and wash our feet. that makes sense? You see, he did this before the supper was served because he said, I want you to be clean. I want you to be prepared. Does that make sense? Paul would teach the church in Corinth, before you take the supper, reflect. Prepare your heart. Check your soul. Check your feet. See what's there. And let the master clean you up. But there's a second lesson that needed to be learned. There's a lesson of the night that Jesus intended for him to get that night. If I have done this for you, look how you treat other people. Look what you do to other people. If this is right for me to do for you, then you do it also for one another. You see, there are people in our world that are struggling with pain and suffering and loss and brokenness that need us to be the instrument of God to serve them in order that they might experience the vitality and the reality of the forgiveness of God. That it's in the midst of me celebrating my forgiveness that I can forgive another and I can lay it down. I wonder if there's a broken relationship or if there's a shattered relationship that needs to be reconciled. I wonder if there's some place that... I need to lay down my rights and my expectations and my privileges and my thoughts and serve someone else in order that they might know and experience the reality of Jesus. Does that make sense? Twofold. First for me. But then what he has done for me, I turn and do for others. i be the one who says, I forgive you. i be the one who says, I'll serve you. I'll take on the role of the servant in order that you can have clean feet. I'll make that choice. You see, that I think is the lesson of the eye of the storm. When we pull away as a family, we pour out our heart to the Father and we surrender to him completely and then we reaffirm our commitment to each other and we serve each other and we're instruments of reconciliation in the midst of our world. As I paint that picture for you, today is there a conversation you need to have with the Lord is there a conversation you need to have with another person we're about to take the supper prepare your heart you're in the eye of the storm tomorrow you go back and for a time you have an opportunity. Will you take it and experience it today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the reality of who you are. Thank you for your grace. And Father, thank you for this family you put us in. Lord, Peter needed James and John not to be his servants, but to be his friends. That night, Lord, you would look at those disciples and you would say, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends because i poured everything I have into you. I've trusted you to live out the mission and the ministry of the gospel. Lord, prepare our hearts to remember your sacrifice and yield afresh to your lordship and commit afresh to one another as we gather in this place. It's in the name of Christ that I pray. Amen.